Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House, Kansas's favorite chillest Kansas government and politics podcast. I'm Andrew Ball, one half of the Topeka Capital Journal's State House team, and I am joined by my other half, the man with the new name, Jason Alatid. Jason, welcome back. You look appropriately tan. Yes, I uh, wore plenty of sunscreen on my honeymoon. I would say I am glad to be back, but I also enjoyed the beaches of Akumal and swimming with the sea turtles. Enjoyed them almost as much as I enjoyed getting married. Uh, Caitlin and I got <laughs> that married. Good, that was a good save. Yes, we, we got married June 3rd in Manhattan. Uh, had a brief rain delay. But finished up the ceremony, walking out to uh, Here Comes the Sun, very uh, appropriately scheduled, even though we did not plan for the rain. We're glad you're back. Like that little ring on your finger there. Yes. Yes. Podcast listeners, uh, you're kind of out of luck to see Jason's ring. And explain the the new last name to us briefly. Yeah, my wife and I had for a while been contemplating combining our last names Uh, my only rule was I did not want to hyphenate just a personal preference thing so we combined the first three letters of her last name of her previous last name Alanise and all four letters of my last name of Tid so it's now Alatid I'm imagining like you get apple pie a la mode we now have Jason Alatid. Yeah, I, I my byline has now changed. My Twitter handle has changed, but my email address has not. Uh, I that that one will come at the speed of government bureaucracy than corporate bureaucracy. Well, and we needn't uh, we needn't forget about our other better half. John Hanna, the Associated Press. Better John, third. Better, better third. third. I was going to do the math there for you, Andrew. I'm a journalist, John. I, I don't do the numbers. You know, I was given a seminar for engineers, I think civil engineers, and I mentioned that you have to explain stuff to reporters and speak slowly because we all became reporters to avoid the math and science requirements. And somebody in the audience said, that's okay. We all became engineers so we wouldn't have to write anything. And all is right in the world. Yes. I know that the English department at K-State has a class specifically on writing for engineers. Yes, that that makes some sense. <laughs> this is called a period. There are no plus or minus signs. <laughs> well, it's funny you were talking about science because uh, we, we got a kind of a, a certain, the science of healthcare has the been The science big. of healthcare. Has been big lately. Uh, is it a science or an art? It's both, right? I think if I'm going to the doctor, I'm really hoping it is more art than uh, it's more science than. But art. the bedside manner is the art. That's true. Board of Healing Arts. Board of Healing Arts. So they think it's an art. That's okay. I'm gonna have to revise that. Uh, Medicaid has been in the headlines a fair amount as of late, and we're not talking Medicaid expansion, though. I imagine that will come up in our discussion. Uh, a couple big developments. First, uh, John, you and I, while Jason was off sunning himself, 
by the ocean. Uh, we were at a press conference kind of kicking off the Medicaid managed care organization bidding process. And if that sounds boring, uh, we're here to tell you why it actually matters a great deal uh, and is sexy and hot in the new summer season. Well, um, and and I'll try to make it as uh, sexy and hot in our, our usual chill way. <laughs> yep. Um, why? Chill is sexy. Yeah, chill We're is. bringing chill back, baby. Yeah. Um, do you think we could get Justin Timberlake to... <laughs> Record a version, a song, we, we updating be, his his hit, his number one hit. We can be as hot as a, a humid Mexican jungle and as chill as a Caribbean sea breeze in the evening. Get you a podcast that can do both, folks. Yeah. Sorry, John. And, and we're yeah. award winning, by the way, because of that. <laughs> um, we, we just we need to mention that, that we're award winning. And the award was uh official this past weekend right yeah it's yeah. in the it's probably in the mail somewhere yes i can't wait to see it <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway why is medicaid important medicaid is important because it's health care coverage for the poor the disabled uh, elderly folks probably about 15 percent of the kansas population at the moment so about four hundred thousand people yeah four hundred thousand actually maybe a little higher than that when you consider and we'll get to why that is in a moment um but uh, uh thousands of people receive medicaid coverage it it uh, otherwise they would have none and the the issue is who runs that program day to day. It has been in the hands of three large insurance companies for a decade now. Um, governor Sam Brownback, Republican Governor Sam Brownback, he of the tax cutting experiment, uh, also moved the state to have these private companies run. Uh, Medicaid. That actually, uh, actually, the person who came up with the plan or really spearheaded it was then Lieutenant Governor Jeff Collier, um, the, a physician. A physician. Um, the argument was that they could leverage the bigness uh, uh, of these health insurance companies for efficiencies in running Medicaid, something that Kansas state government couldn't do. And then with the savings, they could turn around and offer better services. And, of course, uh, we've had uh, 10 years of hearings where that that uh, theory has been contested quite a bit. Well, we should say Kansas is not alone in this oh, model. No. Uh, this the, seems the, to have been overwhelming majority. Yeah, the overwhelming majority of states use a similar system and um, – but to John's point, there are a lot of concerns about the state of the program, and that's in part why this bidding process is actually kind of a unique opportunity for folks who are enrolled in can care or who uh, advocate on behalf of folks who are enrolled in can care to try and e- extract some some change to to have some leverage over what this looks like because the state will issue a request for proposal basically they'll they'll seek bids from folks and the rfp document will outline the kinds of services the kind of expectations 
that the state will have for the companies it does business with and also outline penalties for not living up to expectations. And, you know, there are a lot of shortcomings. I wrote a story on this, talked with folks, everything from prior authorization, which is kind of a mess at the moment where basically the insurance company pre-approves the services that you are going to get and then turns around later potentially and says, nope, never mind, uh, or subjects doctor's offices and hospitals to long waits to the phone trying to get that prior authorization. Um, you know, a slow credentialing process for doctors. Some people want the state to do more on things like maternal health or really to start tackling what are called social determinants of health, which are, uh, you know, Lack of housing, poverty, yeah, housing, education f- issues, food access, things, access to good food, things know. that are not traditionally thought of as uh, as health issues, but certainly have a bearing on how healthy a person is. And and Jason, I I, I alluded to this earlier, but I, I think we can't really get out of this conversation without talking about the fact that the stakes are higher because Kansas has not expanded Medicaid. That is to say that under the Affordable Care Act, uh, there's a provision to uh, increase the eligibility for low-income residents. Kansas has not done that. Can you get us up to speed on where that debate has been? Well, the debate has not been happening very much in the legislature. It has happened more on Twitter than anywhere else. Uh, I mean, House Speaker Dan Hawkins uh, has tweeted several times in the past month about Medicaid expansion, but did not allow debate on a bill. Uh, when there were attempts to force debates, uh, the chambers voted them down. Uh, there was a protest to try to call attention to it this past spring. Uh, afterwards, I had asked the governor if maybe there could be some plan in the works to get her priority of Medicaid expansion and the Republican priority of a flat income tax, kind of combine those as a one deal for a different deal. And she said that she wouldn't do that. I uh, don't know if there was ever any real interest from either side in such a plan, but uh Republican leadership, at least in the legislature, has expressed no interest in doing well, this. Well, and, and, you know, this goes back to the fact that this was President Barack Obama's signature um, signature domestic policy, the, the Affordable Care Act. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about why you wouldn't do it. But what it primarily comes down to is, first, this was a thing designed by Barack Obama, and Republicans had are suspicious of any government expansion designed by Barack Obama and or are in a position where at least back when he was president pretty much automatically had opposed to oppose it politically and and there's and, also a philosophical right. dislike of government welfare right. that, that and that government benefits that underpins it the 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 antipathy toward a uh, an Obama program is antipathy toward big government. The idea that the government is going to come in here and 
set up a program, expanded program, more people are going to be under it, fewer people are going to have private insurance, and in theory, the government is going to have a hand in more people's lives. There was a lot of concern about rationing, but I remember the discussion and and uh, one uh, healthcare advocate said, we have rationing now in the United States. It's rationing by wealth. If you are poor, you do not get the health care that rich people get. That's, that is just the fact of life in the United States. And there are people in this country who don't get adequate health care because they don't have adequate health insurance. And they have worse health outcomes than people who are wealthy. Well, and within the constraints of not being an expansion state, John, we still kind of heard an interesting idea floated by a group that says they will be seeking to bid to be one of these NCOs. Can you talk us through what that looks like? Because that's something that we've not seen in Kansas and potentially have not really seen in other states even. Well, what what it is is there's a, a, a nonprofit group that manages Medicaid programs and or helps to in several states. Ohio is one of them georgia is another indiana indiana is another i think um it is a nonprofit group called care source they are partnering with the kansas children's alliance the inner hab which represents providers of services to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and the kansas mental health coalition i believe yeah the associated of Association of Community Mental Health Centers. That's that's right. That's the name of it. And so what what you have here is an interesting alliance between CareSource and three groups that have been concerned with what they see as major deficiencies in Medicaid in Kansas, the CanCare program as it's known. One has always been foster care. How many kids are going into foster care? Are they getting adequate services? That has just been all i mean for more than a decade that has been an issue the other is uh, mental health services there's always since since at least the brownback administration there's been concern that kansas fell way behind in funding mental health services and then and is now struggling to catch up and then finally interhab has long had problems and even fought to keep uh services, long-term services for the IDD community, waiver services, services designed to keep folks being independent and in their homes. They fought to keep that out of can, the, the whole CanCare contracts for a year. It was known for several years as the carve-out. And so what's interesting is these three groups are, are forming an alliance with care source and they're going to bid on a contract on they're going to hope to land one of the contracts and you're kind of you're we'll we'll skip kind of the the buzzwords at the press conference but basically what's happening here is you have kind of the technocratic institution that is care source handling the bureaucracy and then you have potentially these kansas groups providing feedback and ideas maybe on innovation to to try and move forward on some of the areas John well was and these, mentioning. these are groups that have people in the trenches um, these are groups where you know there are these community mental health centers are seeing people in communities interhab is 
is representing groups that are actually on the ground providing services. And the Kansas Children's Alliance is is oh is involved in the debate over foster care. So in theory, these you're letting people stakeholders have a role in managing Medicaid in a more direct way than they have. I mean, the the groups that Interhab represents, many of them are gatekeepers for determining who gets services. But in terms of actually having a hand in helping run the program, that would that would be something a little new in Kansas. Well, we should say that even if CareSource gets one of these contracts, uh, they would be only one of three MCOs. But it's kind of uncharted territory, and this whole process really is uncharted territory in some respect because it is the first time Governor Laura Kelly first time a Democrat at all has had control over this process. Republicans controversially, and Jason, you and I both wrote stories on this, uh, voted last year to freeze the contracts for an additional year. They would have been up last year. They were not uh, ostensibly to give Attorney General Derek Schmidt, were he to win the governor's office, the chance to handle all that. Well, they assumed he would win. That, and that, that they were that, mistaken. That, that was, I mean, you and I and Jason, we were all in multiple hearings on multiple subjects where Republican lawmakers said in 2022, well, we're going to have a new governor next year. Um, you know, Abraham Lincoln once said that the hen is the wisest animal in all creation because she never cackles until the egg is laid. I, I don't know if that's actually true about chickens, but I've, I've always loved that saying. Um, they Republicans were counting their chickens before they were hatched, and the election did not turn out quite as they had planned. And Democrats cried foul, uh, pun intended. Foul. Yes, I, uh, I, yes, I figured the pun was yeah. intended. Uh, Knee slapper it, there. Yeah, they, they cried foul in part because of the politics, but also the essential the republicans essentially gave these current companies uh no bid contract extensions uh, and they they did not like the idea well, of that and even called into question the legality of it well the interesting is going to thing is that we're going to see is how many companies actually bid based on the the request for proposals that the the administration puts out Two current ones, Sunflower and Aetna, at least, have confirmed to me that they will be bidding. Yeah. Well, you well, assume that United Healthcare Group, the third, will also I bid. mean, and they're going to have an argument that, for better or for worse, we've been doing this work for uh, quite a while now, and we have some experience with, you know, the weird stuff that happens in Kansas as opposed to the weird stuff that happens in Oklahoma or Iowa or Ohio. Well, and we should say that the last time around when these were bid out, uh, Aetna was a new contractor. They replaced one of the original three, and there were big issues with Aetna at the beginning, so much so that the state sent them a threatening letter saying, basically, you are not performing up to par what we laid out in the contract. And, you know, they're probably is legitimate question over whether they would want a chance repeating, you know, that level of service as a new company gets off the ground. Well, and, and, and part of the issue here is, you know, the, the state had, has this issue with foster care. Once you turn the management of 
the system over to private organizations, non-governmental organizations, it's hard to imagine any scenario where you can yank it back. Um, in, in, I mean, it, it is not like the, the, there's an alternative idea out there that the state will just unprivatize here. Um, you know, in part because that would, you'd have to rehire lots of government workers, possibly. Um, and, you know, there, there has always been the idea that, that private corporations can run things more efficiency, more efficiently than government agencies. And so that is part of let's, let's put some ideas from business into government programs. Um, and there was, you know, there's always a discussion when you look at how programs are implemented in government, there's always a discussion about how they tend to be implemented to be convenient for the people running them as opposed to the people receiving the government services. At least in this case, in the early stages, the discussion was, no, we, we really do want to make the services better for, I mean, that Jeff Collier, when he was lieutenant governor, talked about that pretty constantly. The goal here is not just to spend less money, but to deliver better stuff to the people receiving it. Now, of course, all of this is helping is happening at the same time, you know, the pandemic pandemic policy of not uh, kicking people off Medicaid, even if they're no longer eligible, that is done. And so states are in the process of of going through and redetermining eligibility. Well, and in that, Kansas, that, that a, means potentially kicking off more than 100,000 people. Yeah, well, that was a good segue, John. You went right where I was I was planning. Uh, we got our first look after weeks of not really having a sense of how this was going in Kansas. We got our first tangible look at that last week when KDHE put out uh, data on how that unwinding process is going. We know that uh, 50,000 folks in Kansas have lost coverage in the last two months. 89% of those are uh, what are called procedural disenrollments. Uh, that is a fancy way of saying... And advocates would say that's very bad. Yeah, that is the highest rate that we know of among any state in the country. They, they, they would say that if, if uh, the advocates I talk to would say, if you have a procedural uh, uh, rate like that, um, there, there are issues with, you know, what you require people to do, how your system works, how easy it is to get into your system. The Can speed you, of the mail. The speed of the mail. Which is what really has well, been blamed here in Kansas. Well, and the argument from advocates is, and this is just not a Kansas problem, it's a problem to various degrees in various states. The argument from advocates is states have a lot of data that they can be doing some of these automatically. The, it, the term for it is ex parte. In other words, you have a name, uh, you have data in your database that tells you, you know, this person's social security in income, whatnot. You match them up and you, you don't even, you just renew their coverage. You don't even send them a notice. They don't have to do anything. Now, of course, obviously you can't do that for 100%, but... Um, well, we should quickly back up. So how, how this process works is the state CanCare will send everyone enrolled in CanCare 
uh, a, a notice basically saying, first off, update your contact information so we know how to get a hold of you, trying to reach everyone to do that. And at that contact information, at that address, they will send you a packet of information to renew your benefits. What a procedural disenrollment is, is for whatever reason, after mailing that packet, that packet did not get back to the state. Well, and the state says, okay, well, we didn't hear from you, so we are we automatically well, and, have and, to and, kick and you and off the, the argument, Medicaid rolls. The argument of advocates is, you know, you can have a state send a notice that you need to do this, and this is where you go to get an application, as opposed to sending you an application. Is the application three pages, five pages, or in some cases, in some states, it's 40 pages? Um, what documents do you need? Can you send them electronically, or do you have to find copies and put them in the mail? And you're doing this, you know... So all of these issues come into play and can, depending on how it gets sorted out, make it harder. And that's why advocates, as I said, when they start to see a, a, a procedural uh, rate like that, they get they get upset because they start to wonder what's going on. And those long applications presumably come with a under penalty of perjury. You swear that well, and, you're and, telling the truth. And it's it's not even you know it's not even that um, some in some cases that they want the application to be long and complicated on the state's part they, they do things like they make sure everybody has all the stakeholders have uh, uh, place at the table and they all put their thoughts in and all of them get put into the application uh, I think uh, I, I was listening to a podcast and they said at one point the app the renewal application for California had like. 200 questions on it and it wasn't because people in california were that government officials didn't want people to be maybe that was snap it might have been snap um the food assistance program but the point was the officials weren't trying to stop people from getting help they just had all these things that all these people said they had to ask about um and nobody stopped and said whoa what is a person going to think when they get an application with 200 questions on it? Well, and, and you, you mentioned this, John, but the reason that we got here in the first place, and that's part of the reason why, as you said, the enrollment in Medicaid actually grew to around 500,000 people, is during the pandemic, the federal government basically said to states, hey, in, a, in an exchange for not kicking people off the Medicaid rolls because of COVID-19, the uncertainty with the healthcare system, we'll give you more money. We'll give you an expanded FMAP payments uh, as long as you keep the Medicaid rolls basically locked. Now, there are some people that will be guaranteed 100% should be keeping their Medicaid coverage. But for others who qualify based off their uh, income, their people who now, particularly given that Kansas is not a Medicaid expansion state, might make too much to qualify. Yeah. And that's a different category. And apparently far fewer of those people are getting kicked off than the people who are just simply not getting those materials in. And, you know, I talked to people who said that they tried to send, uh, you know, KDHE reached out to them and said, hey, we need more, we need some verification of something. They sent it in and it just went into a black hole. 
you know, long phone lines uh, waits at the clearing house. Yeah, wasn't wasn't there a, wasn't there a figure that KDHE published for how many minutes a phone call takes? Yeah, it. Uh, I will pull it up. Uh, the the beauty of of technology, but you saw uh, over 37,000 calls in the month of May alone. Uh, the average wait time, 24 minutes. Uh, about a third of callers, though, hung up before they got connected with a representative, meaning they probably had to go to work. They, you know, had to the, go catch a bus. The they, baby was crying. Right. You know, any number of reasons. Called in on your lunch break and then never got through. Right. Any number of reasons why any of us probably hang up when we're on hold at the, you know, whomever. Uh, and the the state agency knew this was going to be a big lift. Yep. I knew during hearings early this spring, you know, you had lawmakers asking if these people aren't qualified for uh, these this assistance anymore, why can't we kick them off faster. Yeah, that actually was, I, I think it was Senator Renee Erickson, a Wichita Republican, who was presiding over a Senate Health Committee meeting who said that to uh, Janet Stanek, the KDHE secretary. You know, think of the taxpayers. And and there, and, um, and, and, there are some states that. that have really had that be their guiding principle. And, and the explanation was just that this is such a massive undertaking mm -hmm. for a limited amount of staff. And even though they were trying to build up the staff and I think maybe even outsource some of this work, the sheer quantity of the work to do was going to create big backlogs. Well, and, and that's why they needed to space and, it and, out over a year. And, and imagine, for example, I was speaking with an activist, a national activist who said, you know, Texas apparently sent out a million notices in May saying, basically, if you don't get your application for renewal in by June 1st, you're done. Um, a million notices. Um, so, yeah, this is this is a thing that's going on all over the place. And, you know, you you mentioned um, you, you mentioned the lack of Medicaid expansion. You mentioned the lack of Medicaid expansion, Andrew, and. And, um, you know, always the issue has been in that is how much is that actually going to cost? You know, the federal government, for Republicans anyway, the federal government has promised always to pick up, I think the figure is 90%. It used to be a little higher, actually. Um, but there's always been a suspicion that the federal government won't uh, keep up with that, even if it does. And Democrats will say, well, you know, look at Medicaid funding, look at Medicare funding. They've never abandoned that. But th then again, there is a question of how much it would cost, you know, just to give this expanded benefit. And once you give an expanded benefit, it's hard to take it away. That's true. Yeah, I mean, a really interesting issue, both of these, and I think both issues will be watching as they develop uh, over the next year, it probably will be a year-long process for both of the 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 bidding and for the unwinding. Uh, and Jason, where can folks read about all that if they want to stay tuned on Medicaid or anything else? You can find Andrews and my work at cjonline.com. dot com. Uh, my Twitter account, my Twitter yes. handle has now yeah. changed. So it's at Jason underscore Alatid. That's A-L-A-T-I-D-D. -D. 
You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. The Cap Journal is at CJ Online. And John, where can they find your work? Well, I'm on Twitter at at A-P-J-D Hanna, uh, in the spirit of spelling, J-D-H-A-N-N-A. And then www.apnews.com backslash Kansas. Uh, although I occasionally uh, uh, go across the state line to do work. You did, and go check out John's story on the the death, the mysterious death of a Missouri doctor. Really fascinating read. Yes, he uh, he disappeared from a public swimming pool parking lot on May 21st, nine days later. He was found uh, on a lake in uh, Arkansas. Uh 20 miles away as the crow flies, but about an hour by highway. And so far, authorities are not telling us very much about what happened So, if you're as fan, they investigate. If you're a fan of true crime podcasts, I'm sure John's story will be ripped off for one in about <laughs> three or four years. This is not a true crime podcast. No, so to no, be no. clear, you did not get the wrong. We, we we cover maybe what people think are political crimes, but <laughs> oh, not not you know, and bad bad doings at the state house. According to some others, you know, others take different positions. No, John, of course. No, we're too chill for true crime. Are we chill? We're chill, right? We are very chill. I know, and true crime is like the opposite of chill. Yeah, you know, you're right. It is. Um, I, having listened to a few true crime crime podcasts, they have the portentous mu- music in the background, and they're they're talking about pretty bad stuff. And the hosts start talking about uh, defendants being monsters and sociopaths and that sort of thing, and you know a lot of emotion, obviously, because of what the terrible things that happen. Well, if you want to listen to back episodes of our podcast, not about true crime, you and can, you do, you and do, you, you, you really do. do. Uh, the perfect companion, Jason. Were you just listening to us on the beach all week? I was not, but I do oh. need to go back and listen to that episode that I missed. That's probably your your now wife. Maybe would not be a, a big a fan of you lying on yeah, the beach I don't, listening to chill yeah, in the I, same I, house I, as I, we I are. Kill the romance, you know. I, the the did you so, feel the love that night? Uh, the, the, to throw yes. to throw to throw a Disney reference in. You can't ask that on air. Can I? No, I'm I, just I, thinking in a in a in a uh, laying on the beach holding hands sort I, of sense. I was going to say the the in a in a G-rated Disney the, sense. The, the the sound of the waves crashing on the beach beach and the pitter patter of rain outside the window. You did, you did it was a better was sound gonna... to listen to than our voices. Yes, yes, true, but, true. But uh, in the spirit of the Disney references, our first dance song was Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Yes, that's why That's why I went there. A- Andrew, you didn't know this was going to turn into a dating slash relationship uh, uh, advice podcast, huh? <laughs> that would be fun. If, if Listeners, if you would like us to take uh, questions on dating or romantic relationships, get back to us. Cause, uh, that, yes, that Jason like will answer your questions because he's the, the one who's most qualified <laughs> now. <laughs> I am not. Well, if you want to read a story about an inappropriate relationship, I will have a story on that this weekend. Oh, we're waiting. We're waiting. If you want to listen to our podcast, not about dating, not about true crime, and not about what Jason was doing on his honeymoon... You can go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or I will post them on cjonline.com. 
Jason. Andrew. John. Andrew. Jason. <laughs> I think this podcast has gone off the rails more in the last five minutes than at any other last like five minutes. I meant no offense. I mean, I was just, I was talking about, you know, love in the G-rated sense, in the Disney holding hands sense. Not a, not a, you took it the wrong way. That's true. You didn't go off the rails as much as when you started talking about accountant porn like you did a couple weeks See, ago. See, I didn't even use the phrase accountant porn. Because, you know, we didn't have any this week. <laughs> Maybe next week. Maybe next week. Right. Now Jason is really wishing he was back on the beach in Mexico. Yes. <laughs> well, until we can get Jason a one-way ticket to Akmel... <laughs> We will see you all next week. Have a great weekend. Uh, go celebrate Juneteenth, or I guess, hope you're yes. enjoying your Juneteenth yes. celebrations if you hear this on Monday. And, and, and read Andrew's story about it not being a state holiday. That's true. How is how is it not a state holiday? It's well, so it's a state holiday, holiday, but it's not a paid day off for state workers. Ah, well, there's an excellent book. I think the writer is Annette Gordon-Reed. I think it's called On Juneteenth. She talks about the history of Juneteenth, how it came to be. She also talks about how African Americans in Texas celebrated it during her childhood. It's a great, it's a nice, tight, short read, but it's really interesting. Well, and also an excellent book. Uh, well, you can after you go listen to us, you can go read uh, Juneteenth by Ralph Ellison. Yes, often overlooked, but uh, a great read. You didn't come here for book recommendations, so we'll see you down the road, folks. But we are literati, you know. <laughs> Speak for yourself, John. Have a great week, y'all.